Welcome to the Christine Spray Show, bringing you insights and stories from successful CEOs to help grow your business and increase your revenue. The Christine Spray Show is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Christine Spray. Joining me today on the Christine Spray Show is Hank Moore, who's a corporate strategist and the president of Management Resource Institute. Hank shares his story from working in the White House at a young age to being an entrepreneur and advising cities, municipalities, large corporations, small business owners, and more to helping them strategize and prepare for crisis management, strategic planning, preparedness plans, and more. He's dealt with turnarounds, startups, re-engineering, mergers, companies going public, and more. Hank has, a, has been a senior advisor his entire career, advising services to more than 6,000 clients globally. He provides big picture ideas and things that companies and business leaders can implement that help them become more successful and achieve their goals. Welcome to the Christine Spray Show. Joining me today is Hank Moore, President of Management Resource Institute. He's a corporate strategist, author of 14 books, member of seven Hall of Fames, and more. Hank, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I appreciate you being a guest. You're a futurist, and you have lots to share with us. So uh, thank you so much for your time and being here. My pleasure to visit with you. Well, I want to just jump right in and uh, tell us a little bit about your background uh, briefly, if you don't mind, because I've got a lot of questions for you in a short amount of time. Tell us a little about your background and how you got into the business of business recovery, big ideas, crisis recovery, things like that. Well, uh, <laughs> I've just actually uh, celebrated my 63rd career anniversary. <laughs> it's a very long time. I started working uh, when I was 10 years old as a radio disc jockey at a, at a radio station in Austin, Texas. And the owner of the radio station was Lady Bird Johnson, uh, who became my mentor and quickly told me that uh, my, though my first job was being a radio DJ, my next job, if and when her, boss, uh, her husband ever became president, I was going to be a White House advisor. So I found myself at the tender age of 16, being a White House advisor, and then I was I was a policy advisor, and uh, my areas were civil rights, environmental, international trade, and the World's Fair. So I was mentored and taught and prepared from the very beginning to be a big picture strategist, and to be a planner, and basically the idea person. I'm the guy who comes in and tells the CEO and the board of directors. Here's some great ideas, and once we leave the room, they're their ideas. And that's the kind of thing niche consultants just don't have the opportunity to do. So this is something that I've done all my career. I was mentored in that direction. I was given a lot of very good, sage advice by some very smart people. You know, Winston Churchill, Walt Disney, just, just all kinds of people I grew up uh, listening to and and mentored by, so it was a very you know blessed way to grow up and and uh, as the years have gone by and I've advised you know thousands of co of companies including the CEOs and board of 
500 or the Fortune 500. And I'm just as proud of the work I've done with small business uh, owner operators and with nonprofit organizations and with cities and municipalities. And I'm the guy who advised uh, the city of Littleton, Colorado, after the Columbine shootings on their recovery strategy. And, um, you know, part of it is you want to plan for the crisis ahead of time. Research tells us that if you do that as part of your strategic planning, that 85% of the time you're going to avert it. But what we know, what we've seen with the most, the current recession resulting from COVID and uh, more dynamics is that, um, you know, there's a lot of thinking and strategy that needs to go into moving forward because we just can't stay stuck in a recessionary mode. And it, things will move forward. Interesting. Well, your background is incredible. And I, I heard your story once before when you spoke a few years ago uh, for an association that we were, we were both part of. But um, this sounds like a rhetorical question, um, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What causes crises in business? Well, it's it's there's there's different levels of crisis. There's those resulting from doing nothing. If you do nothing, then the crisis is going to happen all around you. Uh, the other crises are caused by doing things like we've always done. You know, not hating change, not hating strategy. Uh, then there are the crises we bring upon ourselves. Then you get into things like COVID, uh, circumstances beyond our control. And then there's other kinds of crises that companies bring on themselves, the, the bad work, the poor planning. Uh, they've averted every everything. All they want to do is sell, sell, sell uh, without understanding what they're producing and how they're delivering it. And then there's um, the, the kinds of, of crises where you do your planning to remediate the future. Uh, problems from occurring. You know, our our society has been beset by eight recessions in the last 50 years. And uh, the last time around, of course, was the Great Recession of 2008-2009. And I was predicting at that time, people didn't want to listen to me. I said, hey, ladies and gentlemen, there's another recession coming in 12 years. And it happened. Uh, we didn't know mm. about COVID. We didn't know what. But there are cycles economic cycles, business cycles, and those organizations that are postured to uh, move forward and move on are going to to, uh, to live through it to tell other stories. And there are a lot of companies that are growing and, and doing things very robustly uh, because of the COVID recession that they, get, they were kind of forced to stretch themselves and get into new business markets and market shares and collaborate with other uh, companies, all the things that I usually recommend be done anyway. But when times are toughest, people will buckle down, they'll, they'll lay down the swords of differences, and they'll roll up their sleeves and work together, and then they'll move forward. And that's what's happening currently. That's what happened 12 years ago. And that's probably what's going to, you know, happen in the next recession in another 10 years. Now, hopefully, there'll be a lot of lessons learned so that we resist the next recession. And that's that's the hope. You know, small business is very resilient. You know, owner-operators of small businesses wear about 10 hats. 
and which means they're very good at eight of them most of the time, mm-hmm. which is, in my professional opinion, is about seven and a half hats uh, more talent and, and moxie and accomplishment than the average corporate mid-manager ever gets good at. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you know, the, 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 the companies that are lean and mean and got through the, the current recession are going to be poised for growth over the next um, three years. And uh, then maybe they'll remember the down times and remember what happened and who fell by the wayside. And also, in my professional opinion, probably 20% of the businesses that went out of business during the last two years probably were headed that, in that direction anyway. Mm. You know, there are a lot of companies that have been teeter-tottering for years, and it takes more than a, you know, a loan from the government or this or that to suddenly resurrect what might be a, a sagging business. You know, a lot of a lot of a lot of companies are in business for the wrong reasons. You know, the mm. ego and the, and and so that's and so what magnifies the crises is refusing to take action or letting the problems become epidemic diseases, so to speak, lack of accountability, waiting till it's too late to avert the crisis, and corrections after too much damage has been done, or just ignoring the implications and repercussions, because there are repercussions. And certainly, COVID hit all of us like a lead pipe, And but it's the way that we roll up our sleeves and come back. And there's going to be some great stories told about small and mid-sized businesses that are coming back stronger. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. So you do a lot of work in uh, in this business recovery, and so I'd like to ask you if you'd speak to that the business recovery since COVID. I mean, even though it's still among us, obviously, but given that we're all getting back to work, so to speak, can you speak to that? Well, I think one of the things that 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 got glaringly noticed uh, during the recovery, and these are things that need to be addressed during the comeback phase, is uh, the liquidity of businesses. A lot of companies were just on teeter tottering uh, to begin with, and with or without a, a government loan, they were in in terrible shape. Uh, one of the things for existing businesses that has suffered the most during the pandemic is customer service when everything when you hear people talking about no contact and 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 distance delivery of products and services that means that customer loyalty uh is kind of to the wind and so companies are going to need to spend a lot of time over the next couple of years of uh, bringing back their customer pro, uh, service uh programs customer service in my also, in my professional opinion, has been at an all-time low over the last probably 10 to 15 years and getting worse. And customer service needs to be focused on every business decision. Uh, the dominant management strategy that 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 uh, has been very dominant in business for the last 15, 20 years is called customer-focused management. That means tying every business decision to a customer outcome. And if you do that and you occasionally talk to the customers more rather than less and you reconnect with them in unique ways, and that means, you know, that's more than just giving away um 
you know, free dinners on a customer mm-hmm. loyalty program. Uh, I've got mm-hmm. chapters in all of my books on all these subjects, but my loyalty chapter that's in uh, the, the the current book, it's the the best loyalty is the loyalty you don't buy, but you earn and you share back with the marketplace. And then mm-hmm. the other two, a couple of things about the COVID era that uh, we can learn from is uh, the emergence of Zoom. I mean, Zoom's been around for about 15 to 17 years, uh, and um, it was used mainly for corporate meetings and training, and Zoom for a, for a mass consumer audience. And the concept of, of the Zoom, uh, what that could mean moving forward is more and better staff training. You know, mm-hmm. research tells us that today's workforce, this was pre-COVID, uh, today's workforce needed three times the amount of training than they were getting in order to be competitive, much less to move forward. So if we use the new technologies, and we don't want people in a bunch of boring you know, Zoom meetings, but I've done scads of those over the last couple of years. You know, co- uh, conferences went to Zoom, uh, training sessions. Uh, I was involved in facilitating. I facilitate a lot of corporate board retreats where they plan and move forward. And, you know, they don't all have to be in person anymore. The other area that we should really look at and address, everybody out there who's a parent, uh, suddenly became a teacher this year, and we don't mm-hmm. want to take the place of the teachers. Love mm-hmm. teachers. I, I come from a family of teachers. Uh, my mother was a public school teacher in Austin. My grandfather was dean of students at UT Austin, and we have a building on campus named for our family oh. uh, for educational reasons. And uh, but 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 what we need to understand is there's no substitute for in-person learning mm. uh, for the kids and the socialization because those are the memories they're going to remember long after school. And those are also the the talents of working with other people, being able to adjudicate uh, differences sooner rather than later. Those are all things they're going to take into the workforce. Uh, one of the other areas that I would very quickly address is, and this has been a <laughs> concern of, of mine for 20 years or more, is that too many people bring their bad behaviors into the workforce, Mm -hmm. and that by default becomes the de facto corporate culture of Mm -hmm. the company. That's not how corporate culture should and are uh, addressed. Too many corporate cultures come about by default because no one set out to plan it and strategize it, mm-hmm. uh, and which brings the other issue as we go back to some of the small business realities, and that's what a cr- recovering from a crisis does is it helps reroute some of our priorities. The reality is, is 2% of the businesses in America have a plan. That means that 98% do not. Is it any wonder that they fail? Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of those that say they have plans uh, are, are just they're 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 fibbing to you. Uh, that you know they'll they'll throw out marketing slogans or, or accounting goals. Mm-hmm. That's all fine and well, but that for those of us that write real strategic plans, that's called back of the book stuff. Uh, the, some other issues that that we we should really be addressing. Uh, research tells us all this research is Harvard Business School. Uh, 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 
and and they've they've been publishing some of my uh, monographs for a number of years before I started cutting them into books. Sixty six point seven percent of all businesses cannot grow any further than mm. they are now. That means <clears throat> thinking to you, to yourself, business CEO. When is enough enough? Too many businesses want to be clones of someone else in their marketplace. You mm-hmm. want to be your own best. Um, 44% of companies cannot and should not grow into large organizations. Now, I have advised many small businesses in such a manner is to get them acquired into a corporation as an operating unit uh, or, uh, or as a spinoff of mm-hmm. a corporation. In the case, I worked with uh, Agilent Technologies, which was a spinoff of Hewlett-Packard, who I was advising. But, but you know, there, there's, uh, companies, you know, it just kind of gets down to where are you going, how are you going to get there, and what are you really going to be, not just what you say you'd like to be. And that's mm-hmm. what a lot of the planning and strategy. So from here, moving forward over the next three years, uh, businesses of all sizes, particularly small and mid-sized businesses, have opportunities to really blow and go and be their best at what they do. And if they do that, then the next recession will be averted. Okay. So thank you for that. I actually learned a few things from you right there. I appreciate you sharing that. So talk, let's yeah. um, talk about crisis management. Walk us through writing a crisis management or preparedness plan. Well, they, uh, you know, first of all, you've got you've got to really look at um, why you're doing it. A lot of crisis management programs are put together because somebody addicted. You know, you people need to change. That that's the way a lot of training gets uh, addicted in, into the workforce. Uh, fix those people. That's the wrong reason to do uh, a crisis. Uh, that is the crisis. That's part of mm. the crisis. But the the real reason that you that you look at it, you do the crisis management and preparedness program as part of your strategic plan. Now, what I recommend, I've already decried a couple of minutes ago that most companies do not have a strategic plan. This juncture in, in history is a good opportunity for companies to sit down and really strategize who they are, where they're going, who they're going to partner with, what new product lines they want to change their business into. This would be a good time to do that. And then they do the crisis management preparedness plan as part of it. By the way, other prongs of that plan would be their diversity plan. Diversity is one of my favorite subjects. And, uh, you know, we as, as individuals, as companies are very, very diverse. Diversity is, uh, a blessing and diversity in the marketplace is a series of blessings and in the world the global economy i had some people come up to me talking about that issue uh, uh, a while back and there were a group of dairy farmers it was an association of dairy farmers from from uh, wisconsin and they came up to me i was speaking at a conference and they were very angrily said uh, oh, we hate that. Those California cows stole our business. You need mm-hmm. to get the government to fix them and get them. And mm-hmm. we want to do a branding program called Keep the Cows in Wisconsin. And I said, no, don't do any of that. That's going to make you a laughing stock. This is an opportunity to 
sell the brand of Wisconsin dairy industry elsewhere around the world. Use the emerging. You're not going to make the California dairy industry go away, and you can't fight it, but you can carve out new marketplaces. Let's go globally. Uh, I've done work with, with other industries, uh, including big oil companies, where they just said, let's just think a little differently about where we're doing business, and that'll give us opportunities to roll up new opportunities uh, that our competitors are not doing. And that's the other thing about crisis preparedness and management. You're constantly trying to outguess and outthink what the competition is doing, because a lot of people, you know, uh, they'll say, oh, we want our company to look like this and that and the other. No, you don't. You want to learn when a lot of times I've written about 400 corporate strategic plans and guided companies and doing it. And very often when we sit down talking about who we want as our customer first and what our priorities are, we look at what their competition did to mess up and to lose market share. And that's one of the first things that we do is we go after their customers. Interesting. So how does somebody, without without giving, I know we don't have time for it either, but without giving all your trade secrets away, how does somebody go about, not, not the strategic planning piece, but a crisis management plan, a preparedness plan? Is it, is it looking at the business saying, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen and how do we, how do we make sure that doesn't happen or what do we do to pivot? Of well, like you look at a series of worst year? things. Yeah, a crisis is not just a plane hitting a building, you know, I mean, a 9-11 or, or, it, or a pandemic. A crisis for, for a small business could be a sexual harassment lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it could be loss of a key supplier, mm-hmm. loss of, of market share because a corporate roll-up stole your business. Mm-hmm. It could be all kinds of things that that are not of your own making but you can wrap your arms around doing something about it when your competition isn't there are a lot of companies that are just going hey what happened we, it's just everything fell apart no it didn't you know uh, and be and and industries the other thing that i really believe is that small business is much more resilient than large corporations they can mm-hmm. move on a dime, small businesses. They can wear those 10 hats and get very good at eight of them. And mm-hmm. they can look toward the future very clear-eyed. But they can't do it by themselves, obviously. It's not something where the CEO goes away for the weekend and comes back with a strategic plan, including a crisis management plan, including a diversity plan, including a branding plan, <laughs> and these, including a technology plan. All of those need to be part of the umbrella first. You know, there's got to be a big picture plan, and that way it enables the niche pieces to be more successful. I find mm. myself a lot of times meeting uh, with with CEOs and and, cha- and board chairs, you know, because that's the level that I work with. I don't work necessarily with, you know, <laughs> other people in the organization ex- ex- directly. But but what happened is I find myself selling the worth of what the training program, when the training people can't get the ear of the CEO, somebody that they consider a peer has to sell them on 
the worth of what their own people are doing. And that's the other thing that I think we really want to look at is the wonderfulness that exists in a lot of companies already. I take a, a con- I've got 20 business concepts trademarked. Uh, the biggest one is the business tree where you look at the whole of the organization, then the parts as they relate to the organization. Uh, and then back to the whole, and in answer to your question about what are the components of a, a crisis management plan, the, the components would be, number one, core business. What business are you in? Why? How? What? Number two, running the business. How are you going to get that widget to market? Number three, financial. Number four, people. Your biggest, most important asset of the company. Number five, business development. That's where all the sales, marketing, research, public relations, all of that wonderful stuff. And guess what gets cut when the budgets get trimmed first? Branch five, business development. That mm-hmm. shouldn't be, uh, but unfortunately. And then what else gets cut? Training, HR yeah. programs. That's branch four. So mm-hmm. the point being that that you look at each of the pieces and what could happen. Uh, category six on my tree is the trunk of the tree. You can't have a – I came up with my business tree concept oh, years ago because as a an advisor and consultant, I would get called in to fix pieces of problems in companies when instead I'd look more holistically at what the root causes were. Often the root causes were the people calling me in with – phrases like fix those people <laughs> usually they're the ones that needed to be fixed <laughs> but but anyway but you do it i also have a concept called three rights offset of wrong i think there's more good going on in companies than companies give themselves credit you know sometimes you got to cut yourself a little slack and pat yourself on the back and if you do that the marketplace will do so too so so th- I think that's one of the things that we can look at uh, moving forward from the, the COVID crisis is a lot of people are welcoming businesses back like heroes. You just keep behaving like a hero and your business will continue to grow steadily. Okay. Thank you for that. So what what lesson should we learn from the economic downturn and some of the other things we've seen from corporate scandals and editors? Well, the uh, <laughs> corporate scandals is a whole other subject. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I testified in 2001. I was called to, to go to Congress. I was hired by to do litigation support by some senators, and I went and I was there to testify at about everything Enron did wrong other than cooking the books. And uh, the people were applauding and all that kind of stuff. And I, and, and of course I used that opportunity to tell, remind them that the, the previous time I testified before Congress, I got booed because I was telling them to not deregulate broadcasting, to keep it regulated in the best interest of nonprofit America. That's another subject. But, but, but the point is that, that there's, we we want to plan. We want to strategize. We don't want to get too pompous. Companies don't want to take themselves 
unnecessarily too seriously, but they also shouldn't kick themselves. And that, that three rights offset are wrong. The more good and strength we can find in companies, that's going to be your next your next area. And I've, I've, I've done that with lots of companies, Disney, Marriott, Hewitt Packard, AT&T, Texaco, you know, and, and a lot of times you, someone from the outside reminds them about the wonderful aspects of the company. And suddenly that becomes the next brand that becomes the next strategy. You know, we just have to find the good that that can go on and the opportunities in the marketplace. So that's your answer about building the plan. Companies can't obviously need to have have good outside advisors to help them, but the the best advisors are there to help them, not to sell services. Another statistic that a lot of people would be shocked to hear, according to the research, only two percent of those people who call themselves consultants really are. That means mm. the rest of them are vendors peddling programs and off-the-shelf things. Oh, you need to buy training. You need to buy an upgraded website. You need to buy – I mean, the answer is yes to all of that, but the strategy reminds the company of the wonderfulness of the niche things. And niche consultants, a lot of times, are going to recommend what they have to sell, not necessarily what the company needs. So, so again, going back to my earliest days, this is all I've ever done is look, you know, from the outside in, the inside out, the top down, the bottom up, you know, all of the above. You can't just do planning and strategy uh, from a niche uh, viewpoint. Okay. So what are some of those common mistakes made by businesses that you've seen? I know you've worked with a vast number of companies, um, you know, over 6,000, you know, organizations uh, globally. Tell us what are some of the common, most common mistakes made by businesses? Uh, they wait too long. They don't do anything. I had a, one of my previous books was called The High Cost of Doing Nothing. And it had, you know, hundreds of case studies of companies that waited too late and to 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 do anything therefore mm. they they frittered and died uh a lot of times they 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 put off the planning they say oh yeah we'll get around to that you know i had a, a large corporation come to me recently and they were go, going oh uh we did this branding program and we spent all these millions of dollars and it was terrible and wrong i said mm. well Yes, it was. Uh, you should have had the strategy first, and mm -hmm. uh, so you know. But but you don't want to go around you know telling them you know you're wrong, you're bad. I take the the concept. You know, sometimes I've had to be the Dutch, give the Dutch uncle talk to the board of directors. You know, when there's a, a terrible crisis, there's no time to play games. They got to address them. One of the, the national crises that I'm proudest of that I was involved in in my career was the Tylenol uh, uh, situation back in, back in the 80s. And the infamous Johnson & Johnson, who's in the news every day, they were the client. And people go, wow, it would be nice to sit in a boardroom. What do they talk about? Well, I'll tell you what we talked about in Chicago. I was there. We talked about putting the plan that we had already developed into action. And that mm -hmm. was how we recovered the reputation of Tylenol after that, that tainted 
product resulted in some deaths. Then we took it several steps forward. We got the public on our side while we were lobbying the Food and Drug Administration to get our tamper-proof caplet approved so mm. that we could uh, benefit the marketplace. And and that people have, have pointed to certain case studies, and that's one of them, and I was proud to be part of the team that did that uh, in, in the late 80s, was how you recover. Uh, I remember, you know, beginning called in sometimes with crises. There was a big scandal that United Way had. By the way, all these crises that I talk about, I don't talk out of school. This is with permission of the organizations. Mm -hmm. And there had been a scandal with United Way of America, and I went in there, and I had to play the Dutch uncle talk. I said, look, do you not understand? You're ruining the downstream uh, of fundraising for your chapters, we need to make some changes and improve it fast. Mm. And and you need to constantly keep in mind the local accountability. And and they did the recovery in such a way to get past the crisis that it really cemented relationships. And I had to remind them very directly. Uh, excuse me, your core business is fundraising. You know, social service is about number three on the list. That's the other issue. Uh, I have, When I talk about business, uh, branch one on my business tree, the business they're in, core mm-hmm. business, you need to really rank order what your marketplace thinks your priorities are vis-a-vis what you think they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's about 17 priorities, and making money hand over fist is usually not the first one. It's about number three or four on the list. It's mm-hmm. like human beings. The average human being in the workforce has 20 motivations to work. Getting paid for their time is only one of the 20 reasons. We'd rather would get to do work we're proud of and that makes a difference and so on and so forth. And you know, we've got five generations in the workforce right now, and the the youngest in the workforce, the millennial generation, has a big-time commitment to making a difference, um, kind of like their grandparents did. Everything's very cyclical. And so the point being, we want to do the right things, run a good company, and if you do all of that, you're going to be more profitable, you're going to be bigger, broader, but you're also going to know when is enough enough. You're not going to try to grow to be something other than, you know, than what you can say be. you're growing. Right. So why, why do good, good businesses go bad? They don't listen to experts. They think they know it all. They think, uh, oh, well, it wouldn't matter. You know, uh, none of our people know how to make decisions. So we don't, test them to do that. You know, there's a lot of wrong assumptions, and it keeps going back to companies trying to be a carbon copy of someone else. I mean, Mm. one of the best pieces of advice I got at the beginning of my career when I was a 10-year-old radio disc jockey, I wanted to be the Dick Clark of Texas Radio, and I was at one time, and I was the king of the golden oldies, and that's how (laughs) I got inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, one of those seven halls of fame. I don't... Uh, you know, and and I just got inducted again for the second time. Um, the, the first time was as a radio disc jockey. The second time recently was as a book author. But mm-hmm. anyway, what I was taught was you can't go through life as a carbon copy of someone else. How you be your own self, 
best self versus a clone. And my mentor was a 24-year-old young person at the time by the name of Bill Moyers, the Bill Moyers, the, you know, from PBS. And he said, uh, you're never going to be Dick Clark. You can't put him out of business. Why don't you be your own best Hank Moore? And then, his, and then his boss, Lady Bird Johnson, said to me, "Yeah, you, you are a visionary. You are a humanitarian. Now grow into the roles." And then she started introducing me to all these famous people who taught me how to do it. And and so, but but that's that's the that's it. it, it just the final answer to your question. The business leaders, it's very lonely at the top, particularly for small and mid-sized companies. They think they've got to be all things to all people. And the answer is share the wealth with other people. You know, the biggest thing that we need to be looking at now is that youngest generation in the workforce, the millennials, are not going to be the young kids anymore. We need to be creating business opportunities for Generation Z. Mm-hmm. And and that's individuals born from 2003 forward, you know. And, I mean, I was the token young kid once. And for the first 35 years of my career, I was the whiz kid. And then what I learned was we don't you don't just get old and, you know, go away. You You mentor the young people to be at least better than what you are and better than what they think they are. And so, I mean, you know, it's just there. It's really nice to be thought of as a kind of, you know, friendly uncle or a, a respected parent you know i mean most of most of my 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 base that i work with in the marketplace is generation x and y and they're the people that are movers and shakers and businesses i don't really work with too many of the older generations it it's you know you don't want to you don't want to just live in the past you want to learn from it you know and uh, that's why why I have so many fun, interesting historical chapters in my book, because you can't put every, you know, each of my books has 33 chapters, and you can't go around talking about COVID crisis and the poor behaviors in the workforce. You've also got to talk about the fun, innovative things. You mm-hmm. know, in, in, my, in my current book, Big Picture Business Book 3, probably the most interesting chapter is the one I have on the history of the automobile and its effect on uh, civilization. And all the business opportunities can we can we say drive-in movies and shopping centers and fast food restaurants and I've got the history of all those industries and so you know those are fun entertaining chapters and then I've got the cutting edge chapters you know talking about uh, some of the the big things that are going on so you kind of just it, it's like a cornucopia of, of things that you look at as a business as an advisor I try to mentor. The CEOs, the board, the boards of how to think broader, and then they become the big picture experts, and then the people in their organization become the heroes. And that's that's really it. It's just getting them to reach out to more people, and and nurture that talent, and and identify your heir parents who are going to be taking over for you. Okay. So, uh, what are what are some of your views on deregulation? Well, obviously, I I don't like it. 
<laughs> Deregulation has negatively impacted most industries. It's been a very, it's a political hot potato, and it has been for about 40 years. And uh, the, you know, we keep hearing about the airline industry is on its way out of business over and over and over. Yeah, had it not been deregulated in 1979, it, things would have been a little different. I think that re-regulation is going to be happening more and more as you've got too many monopolies that need to be broken up. Can we say the tech industry? Uh, as you know, the, the mm. deregulation is not a, a regulation is not a dirty word. Deregulation is not a dirty word, but the way that you repurpose regulations i've got a, a, a i've got chapters in in the books about codes and ethics and standards and all that and and again nobody's in business to to be you know this saintly figure oh we only talk about ethics no we also talk about making money no we also talk about being a good place to work no we also talk about uh serving our communities that's that's the other topic that i would quickly introduce to you uh, the business leader as community leader most of us that have been worth our weight and salt and valuable to our companies have been community leaders. And I've put together, I've designed programs as part of strategic planning to get those young people in the in the workforce inundated and, and prepared to be leaders of their company. And a lot of times it's getting them on charity boards of directors. You know, one of the lessons I was taught by one of my mentors years ago, a fellow named Seymour Cohen said, you do your best work for free. And the way in which you volunteer and the way in which, again, none of us are in business to give all of our time away, but when are we as individuals and companies do cause-related marketing, we want it to count. For our company, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. So I, I just wanted to introduce that subject. That's a whole series of subjects. I've, I've already brought up about probably ten areas that you could probably have other experts on other shows talking about, and I can come back. I think we could do a whole show just on the business leader as community leader and talking about how to do cause-related marketing, how to get companies to become heroes in their community better than they are. Uh, those are wonderful topics. Um, I think but, so too. I think we could spend all day on it, actually. And still, oh, it is. Still it is. And I wrote a book, my my ninth book, and which is people go, which what's your favorite of all your books? Well, you know, our, my books are are you know they're like our children. We love them all, but some of them stand out for different reasons. Uh, my we we my. Thirteenth book is about to come out, and my ninth book, which was my second Pulitzer Prize nominated book, was Nonprofit Legends. And I was aghast to understand that there was never a, a soup to nuts textbook about all things community volunteer, cause related marketing, fundraising, all of that stuff was never in member recruitment, retention, all those good nonprofit topics. Because nonprofit organizations, after all, are businesses too. And I've said for years that if Business was more had the heart and soul of nonprofit, and nonprofit organizations were more businesslike. We'd all be better off. Be uh, I think so. Too. I think so too. We yeah, can, we can maybe advice. do that another time. Uh, nonprofit. I mean, I've I've discussed nonprofit topics with everybody from you know Bill Gates to 
you know, Jimmy Carter to Martin Luther King the third, you know, and at at symposium and and that's a wonderful series of topics. But you know, it's just how all of that shuffles into the plan. Every major executive of every company should have their own strategic plan. You know, right. as we call it a personal purpose statement or other right. topic. You know, it's variations of the same thing. Plan to be what you're what you are, what you're going to be, and what you'd like to be. Okay. I've got one more question for you. I know we're running out of time here, but I'm gonna squeeze right. one more in if you if we can. Um, uh-huh. How can companies most effectively manage change? Well, research, uh, the wonderful research, tells us that change is 90% positive. And uh, uh, so why then do people fear what's in their best interest? Because it's all about fear. Research also tells us the average person and the average organization changes at the rate of 71% per year. So the change is going on already, whether we notice it or not. Our antenna needs to be out. That can be in our personal uh, purpose statement of how we're going to benefit from change while our competitors are falling by the wayside. And, 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 you know, that's the kind of thing people go, oh, you're so young thinking and forward focused and you're not like the average old person. Well, you know, I, I never wanted to be, you know, mm-hmm. and I said the same thing to Winston Churchill when I met him. I was 12 years old and he was 77. I said, you're not the average old person. You're you're with it and, and leading it. He said, mark my words, people are going to be saying that to you in years to come. Suck it up and get used to it. <laughs> but, but you know, and I, I mean, I couldn't believe this. I was 12 years old and Labor Johnson sat me down with Eleanor Roosevelt and Winston Churchill, and they all had this wisdom. And, uh, you know, and, but, but anyway, the, the, uh, I, I have a chapter about all of this in my next book, my new book that's about to come out, Big Picture Business Book Four. My current series is the only encyclopedia of business books out there. And there hasn't been a series like that since the Peter Drucker books of the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. And Drucker's mm-hmm. endorsement appears on it. But anyway, and then I've got my other series of books that are my legends books. My next book is about nothing that we're talking about right now. It's called Pop Music Legends, and it was well, seemingly nothing. Uh, and it covers 125 years of every major trend and challenge and success in the music industry. And it's got so, endorsements from Paul McCartney and Beyonce and people like that. Okay. So if you had to narrow it down and just summarize as we wrap up the call, what, sure. what, what can companies, what, what and how can companies effectively manage change? If you had to narrow it down to the top three to five things. I understand changes that are beyond your control. Understand that probably 80% of the change opportunities are within your control. Understand that the strategies that you develop for keeping your company in business will help you. You know, change is not this mystical thing. You've got to take change and growth and and strategy out of the esoteric and make it part of the everyday part of life. Just just look at it as a change as a soup to nuts part of keeping your business in business. How are you going to change? How what steps you're going to take? Who's going to be accountable for measuring it? You know, those kinds of things. You just you just look systematically at how we're going to be around in the future and how we're going to keep 
successful and maintain what we're doing. Okay. Well, Hank, thank you very much for your time today and sharing your wisdom with us. Obviously, you're just a wealth of information. They do say older and wiser. And I congratulate you on your nomination of five times for the Pulitzer Prize. Um, you've been in circles of experts from Peter Drucker to Tom Peter, Stephen Covey, um, and many, many more. Um, in, and I just I really appreciate your experience and your insights all the different things that you've uh, been a part of from, from, you know, advising cities through recessions and violence and natural disasters, uh, downturns. It's, it's really been an honor to have you on the show and uh, look forward to continue to keep in touch and learning from you more. Oh, and I, I admire the mentoring you're doing with businesses of all sizes. People need good mentors. And they need trusted advisors. Well, we're we're a good team, and, uh, and I'm just really glad we met uh, many, many years ago, and I'm glad we kept in touch. So uh, I look forward to keeping in touch and having you back on the show again in the future. Thanks again for your time, and uh, keep doing a great, great work. Uh, you're making a difference for sure. Thank you for having me part of this this uh, podcast. It, you're you're going to keep doing some wonderful programs, and people need to stay tuned. You're the best. Thanks, Frank. Bye-bye. And there we have Bye-bye. it. Another great episode on the Christine Spray Show. Don't forget to check out the show notes at christinespray.com. And you can find out more about how we can be a resource to you at strategiccatalystinc.com. All the best in your continued success until the next time we talk.